Well, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 12 today, because that is where we're going to be reading. If you are on the almanaz.online.church page, uh, there's a handy little Bible section right there, so you can digitally turn to it if you'd like. If not, crack open that rustic thing we call a Bible that is in this book form with papers and all that funny stuff. Romans chapter 12, 1 through 12. This is the point in Paul's message where he begins to shift the entire focus of what Christ has done into then what that means for the church. I think it holds some relevance for us today. I especially think it holds some relevance for us today. And so, with that... I invite you, even if you're in your living room, even though it might be only your family members, to stand with me as we read the Word of God, because we can still show respect to the Word of God, even if we're not corporately together. So if you're able, if you're willing, if you are dressed, let us stand for the reading of God's Word in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one to another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to God, given, given to us. Prophecies in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the, exhorta- the ex- extorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. This is the word of the Lord, and together we say thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you might just fill us with your presence, that you might give us a deeper understanding of what it means to worship you, to get to this heart of worship through the words of your apostle Paul as he spoke to the church in Rome. Guide us this day. Amen. We've been living in an upside-down world the past couple of weeks. I don't know if you've noticed, but a few things have changed. And this has forced many of us to confront different aspects of our lives and to see what is truly the best response to what we have been called to do. Many comforting and normal things that we have believed were just commonplace 
have been taken away or restricted. The ability to go wherever we please, to eat wherever we would like to eat, and even to, to just make a living through our work has changed and disappeared. Even the church has been affected by this virus. Some of the most basic things that we've held as part of our worship have been changed. They've been altered, obviously, because you're sitting in your home. Some of the things that we have a part of worship have just utterly been taken away because we cannot do it, because we cannot gather. And some of them have, have changed in such a way that it has shifted the paradigm of the entire world. Yesterday, uh, last week, I received an email from the people that we use to host this, this service, and they said, we are so sorry, we did not anticipate the number of churches that would continue to, that would be using this now, and so they've had to make changes. They said, we literally have broken the internet because so many churches have gathered online. This is a paradigm shift, because even though churches have been meeting online for quite a few years now, not in this number. Everything that we have thought was part of worship has changed. It begins to make me wonder when we cannot meet together in person, when we cannot sing together, when we cannot even just talk to one another in person, it can begin to make me question as to what we can do for worship. But I think a better question, instead of saying, what can we do for worship, is to ask, what is the heart of worship? Because that's what we desperately need. So now, while Paul was not facing a, a worldwide pandemic like we are facing today, he was still giving the church some valuable information as to what to do. And the big part of that was the fact that the Roman church was in the central hub of the entire Roman Empire. Duh, it's, it's in Rome. And, and so he was gathering together, telling them, this is how you worship God. Because they were looking and saying, we are Christians, we want to worship God faithfully, but we're surrounded by all these cults. We're surrounded by all these other religions that we know are false, but they do these different practices. Do we participate in these practices? Don't we participate in these practices? What do we do to worship our God faithfully? And so that's what he is giving us today. And even before this pandemic the church globally today has been conflated with a lot of things. We have potlucks and, and board meetings. We have gatherings and, and, and councils. And, and we have all these things that we just fill our, our lives with within the church. So many things that you could make. I've seen churches with bulletins where their entire back page was just a schedule of events and things that they were doing. So much that we fill our lives with. And over the years, I've noticed that the church has begun to look more and more like a business rather than a place of worship, and that has worried me. When a consumer-minded society tells us that the church must adapt or die, 
Many churches have shifted to become basically a new startup company where they're saying we are going to meet a unique need so that we can do it uniquely, so that we can be this kind of niche community in the marketplace so that we can attract all these people because we're doing something cool and unique. That is not what it is supposed to be. Worship is not about pleasing the customer. It is not about offering the best programs. It is not about having stellar worship bands playing the freshest music. Worship, the heart of worship, is none of this. The heart of worship is sacrifice to our God. Now I hear some of you saying in your living rooms, sacrifice. How can this be? Jesus was the only sacrifice for us. We don't need to offer any more sacrifices. To that I say, yes, you are partially correct. But then I would also say, you need to go look at the book of the law, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and go brush up on what it means to offer sacrifices because they had more than just one kind of sacrifice. I will say this. Yes, Christ was the ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. He was the only one by his blood to make our forgiveness possible for eternity. Yes, we no longer need to offer a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. However, there were many other forms of sacrifice. There were sacrifices given to give praise to God. There were sacrifices given to show commitment to God. They had all these different forms of sacrifice. And so it is foolish of us to say that we no longer sacrifice anything. Because our worship, as Paul tells us here, to make our bodies a living sacrifice to God. Paul is still holding on to the idea that we offer a sacrifice of some sort. And so that's what I want us to see today. I want us to understand what Paul really means when he says and calls the church to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And my prayer is that we may be humble enough to enter this heart of worship. Paul starts the discussion on worship with this very critical step. Our thoughts. We must first sacrifice our thoughts in order to properly worship God. His instructions are, are, are rather clear, Paul's instructions here. He says, we abandon the way we used to think so that then we can think the way God wants us to do. We stop thinking the way the world has designed things. We stop thinking the way the world thinks of things, and we allow God to reshape our minds, to restore us to a place where we think in his way. Instead, we have a renewed thought. In verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable Imperfect. We must renew our thoughts. 
And this is the transformation that you've heard me say many times. I'm sure you've heard it. If you've been a Christian any part of the time of your life, you've heard this. This is part of the transition of becoming a Christian. As you grow in your life, you are constantly being renewed in your thoughts. What you thought was one thing, now you learn is another. What you thought was okay, you learn is sin. So you renew your thought to no longer do the things that you used to do. You see, our thoughts are so critical to this center of worship, this heart of worship, because our thoughts drive us. When we think of something, we do it. And so we must first renew our thoughts to be centered on God so that then our bodies are driven in that direction. Now, as with most things that are worth the effort, this takes time. It is not usually an overnight process where all of a sudden you say, okay, God, I'm going to renew my thoughts and everything's going to be focused on you. And then boom, you wake up and everything is 100% okay. That is not how it always works. Some of the thoughts that we need corrected say thoughts uh, about lying might take some time for some of us. Others might say, no, it's easy. I, I don't want to lie anymore. Or our, our thoughts on anger might take some time. But then suddenly we say, okay, I, I don't need to do this anymore. It will be a growth process regardless. The big problem, though, is not that it takes time. The problem is when the church assumes that where we are at is where everyone else must be. The problem is, is when a Christian says, I can grow this fast, and I can sacrifice this much, and so everyone else must do this. Everyone else must be on the same page with me. Because the moment they do that, the moment they assume that everyone else has to grow at the same rate that they do, they stop showing love and compassion to those who need it. It is very similar to if you're in a school, school teachers. You teach to the children who are going the slowest, and you kind of work at their pace to help make sure that everyone comes along. I am so glad my math teachers went slow. I would, I, I would not, I'm, I'm already not good with math, but I would be even worse if my teachers went faster with all of these students who were better than me. We teach to the lowest common denominator, math pun intended. We, we teach knowing that everyone moves at a different pace. And so in the same way, we must work as a church as we grow, as we bring people in, as we work one another in discipleship, we realize that people are growing at different rates. People are at different stages, and they are able to sacrifice different things. And so we bear in patience with one another to let God work in them as he continues to renew their thoughts. But it may take time. So as we grow in a church, let us first target our minds. Let us first renew our thoughts now, this extends far beyond just a standard, don't think bad things. That's, that, that's very base level. No, we, we need to think 
fully encompassing in our lives. How does this change us? How does this affect us? And so when we approach our families, our coworkers, our friends, we think in a renewed mindset of how we approach them, the words that we use, the expressions, the jokes we tell, the way we address issues, the way we celebrate with them. We address all of that with a renewed mind, not the way the world does it, the way God tells us to do it. When we wake up in the morning, we wake up with a renewed mind about who we are, about what our purpose is for the day, about who we serve. All of that is a renewed sense of thought. But even more than that, our worship must be a renewed mind experience. Before live streaming, before multitasking smartphones, it was still difficult for people to have a renewed thought about worship. It is so easy for us to be passively sitting in worship, listening to the songs, listening to the sermon, and have our minds thought on everything else. We have a, a to-do list going off in our heads saying, oh yeah, I need to do that when I get home. I need to do this. I need to change that. I need to call that person. I need to write that letter. Or, or making a grocery list while we listen to the pastor preaching. Oh, I need eggs and I need milk. And I, it, We do that and our minds are not focused on the thing that is right in front of us, the thing that is most important. We go through the actions without any of the heart because our thoughts have not been renewed on the importance of being a part of this worship. We cannot be passive about it. We worship God by sacrificing our thoughts, saying, for this time, at this moment, I'm not going to think about anything else. I'm not going to worry about anything else. I'm not going to stress about it. I'm not going to have anxiety about it. I'm not going to try to think about the next thing that I want to buy or how I'm going to make money to get it. This time, I sacrifice my thoughts to God to speak into who I am. And that's it. And so that means even now, while we meet digitally, you prepare yourself as if we were to meet physically. You put some clothes on. Please. I can't see you, but please, just for the sake of my sanity, help me know that you have prepared yourself, that you, you're, you're, you're ready as if you were to meet people physically. Your, your thought is there. You turn off the other distractions in your household. You set aside all the other things. You, you put the games down. You put the books down. And you are focused on the heart of worship with your renewed mind. And then once we do that, as we see with Paul, we move to what then we are capable of doing. Paul moves from what we think to what we can potentially do. Verses 3 through 8 is where he really hits home with that. And he tells us, that in, he tells us to sacrifice our skills. To sacrifice our skills. And, and, and we think of ourselves by way of having sober judgment so that we might better understand our piece of the puzzle in the church. You see, everyone has a skill. Everyone has a role to play. One of the biggest misconceptions about the church 
and worship is that it is meant to only be passive interaction. We are meant to engage one another. We are meant to actively be doing something. Everyone is supposed to be a part of it. That is why I love, and eventually I'll be bringing back, different uh, call and responses. Because I want us to actively engage together. That's why we say, thanks be to God at the end of reading the word. Because we want to be together. This is a part that you play. Church worship is not about what you get out of it. It's what you put into it. It's using your skills to feed the church life. And the beauty of the church is when everyone engages with their skills. Because then everything just kind of works together. Everyone has needs met. Everyone has problems solved because everyone is using their talents, their skills, as Paul puts it, their grace given together in harmony. And yet, and yet, there's a problem. Because at that point, then, it is so easy for us to assume that certain skills are more important. Which then means certain people are more important. And then it creates this hierarchy of power. These people are in charge, and then those people are in charge, and then those people, and then those people. Real talk, church. I've been criticized about my views on this for a number of years. Fun fact, I even failed a paper in college because of this. Church structure, this hierarchy of power. I believe it's one of the things that has been messing up worship of the church for many years. I am not your boss. I was not hired for a job position. I do not run an organization. I am one person with one particular skill that I use with other people who have other particular skills in conjunction with them for the harmony and life and growth of the church. I'm not better than, more important than, more powerful than anyone else. I only share in some skills that I have, some graces given to me that then I work with others to do. So there is no pyramid of power. This is one thing that you've heard in businesses. There's a pyramid structure and you have the base level people and you have that and it goes all the way up to the top where the most powerful person is. And then years, a number of years ago, it was, it was, they took the pyramid, they flipped it up inside down. They said, if you want to be a good leader, the leader's at the bottom of the organization. And I say, there is no pyramid. We're all on the same level. Paul, Paul shares this. He says... Look at what he says in 6, 7, and 8. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith. Ministry in ministering. The teacher in teaching. The exhorter in exhortation. The giver in generosity. The leader in diligence. And the compassionate in cheerfulness. He doesn't say, here's the power structure that you're supposed to follow. Here's all the skills that are more important than others. He says, everyone has these in some way, shape, or form. Someone has one, someone has another, and you're all supposed to use them together in worship. Now, when we allow our minds to think in worldly ways, because we haven't renewed our thought, 
we haven't sacrificed our thought to God to change how we think, then all of a sudden we see some skills is more important, which then means certain people are more important, which then means that some people are less important. That does not happen in the kingdom of God. There are no less than important people. That is not how we are called to see people. And so as a pastor, I use my skill. I sacrifice how I think I am. I sacrifice my ability to do things. I sacrifice how important I think my ability to do things. I sacrifice that all using sound, uh, sober judgment to realize that I am only one piece of the puzzle. And so in order to get to the heart of worship, we must then sacrifice our skills so that God can use them how he sees fit, not how important we think they are. If we have to make a call within the church about who to cut, the, the non-critical personnel, as you've been hearing about the government agencies saying, okay, these jobs are non-critical, these jobs are critical, so they have to stay open, they have to close. If we had to make that call within the church about who to cut, we couldn't do that because everyone is critical. Every single one of you are critical to the life of the church to worship with God period. Everything down to the last saintly prayer prayed is critical. That in turn becomes our testimony to the world about the God that we worship. Because when the world wants to place people at different levels of importance, God says, you are all important. So in this time of forced isolation, it, it's been hard for me. It's been a struggle because I've been wandering. I've been thinking, how possibly, how, how could we possibly worship? How could we possibly be the church in isolation? Let me change that for you. Let me tell you the truth. We cannot be the church. We cannot worship God in isolation. Because none of us have the skills that it requires to worship God completely. None of us can do it by ourselves. We need one another in order to holistically worship God. So Sunday school teachers, continue teaching. Reach out to your students. If you can't reach out to the students who are in the church, look to your neighbors. I'm sure there's children wandering around and parents saying, I don't know how to teach them. Give them some resources. Share. I, we have more resources. We'll share them with you. We'll send them in the mail. I'll drop them off personally to your house. Continue teaching. Those who sing up here, continue singing. Help lead others in praise. If you have to go outside and start belting out a tune, lead people in worship to God. My wife is laughing at me because she knows that would never happen. Those who prepare food, continue to prepare food. I'm sure there are people, unfortunately, who do not know how to make decent meals anymore. And if they can't get them from the grocery store, they're going to be hungry. So help them out. Those who clean, look for things to clean. Everything needs sanitized today. So you got something to do there. And our prayer warriors... Please don't stop praying. 
Keep on working. You got this. The beautiful thing about the fact that when we sacrifice our skills, when we sacrifice how important we think they are, we can use them. Even in this time of isolation, even though we cannot meet together, we can still use our skills to be the church So we sacrifice our thoughts. We sacrifice our skills. And then as Paul leads us to, we sacrifice our passion. Everyone has passion. Everyone has something that drives them. Everyone has a fire that's lit under their rear end to make them go. Some, it's proper education. Some, it's, it's healthy living. For some, it's trying to have the sanctity of life. We all have these passions that just burn inside of us, and we need to do something about it. Yet, as we enter into the heart of worship with our Lord, we sacrifice our passion so that God might give us his passion. Now, they might look similar. They might align. But here's the key difference. Someone who is just passionate about healthy living does so because they want people to be healthy. Someone who is passionate about healthy living because God has given them that passion says, God has crafted our bodies in a special and holy way that we need to treat in such a way that resembles the divine nature. And so I want people to be healthy so that they can serve and worship God and that we can be a reflection of what he has made us to be. Very different outcomes are made when we do this. And so we sacrifice our bodies. We sacrifice our passions in worship to God. Look at the things that Paul mentions here in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. These are the passions, just some of them, just some of the passions that God gives us when we sacrifice to Him in worship. Let love or let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. My goodness, if we only did just one of those, could you imagine what would happen in your neighborhood? If, if, you, if you just were, were genuine in love, imagine how that would affect your neighbors. Imagine how that would affect your community. If, if you were just, if you were just mutual affection, outdoing one another in showing honor. I mean, can you imagine how our lives would be changed just by doing just one of these? To hold fast to what is good, even if it, it, it causes problems for you. Could you imagine the testimony that tells people? Or, in these dark times, to rejoice in hope. Listen to that. Rejoice in hope. It's not have hope. It's not trust in hope. It's not think about the hope that you have eventually. It's the fact that you're actually rejoicing in hope. 
you're rejoicing in something that is unseen, in something that is unproven, in something that you have no clue whether it will come true or not, but you're rejoicing in it. Or to be patient in suffering. Listen, everyone. Not a single soul has gone unaffected by this virus. Everyone is suffering. So imagine the testimony we have to people about the God we worship when we practice patience in suffering. When everyone else is angry and upset and annoyed and anxious because they're in isolation and, and they're saying, oh, I can't, I, I want to get up, I need to do something. And, and they're, they're just worked up. And we are patient in this time of suffering. Imagine the conversations that could take place about God and how we worship our God if we just practice that. Now, there's one more thing I wanted us to look at. This was not technically a part of the scripture reading for today, but I could not leave it out. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. My goodness, what a perfect verse for us now. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Show hospitality to strangers. May this be our battle cry right now. May this be what we do. We want to worship God. We want to actually give a worship that is holy and pleasing to him. World. Ooh, hello. I pulled my mic out because I got a little too crazy. My goodness. We, we want to show the world how great God is. Do this! Contribute to the saints. Show hospitality to strangers. What does that look like? Well, it means that we say, hey, I love you. Let me do something for you. Hey, I don't know you, but here you go. Had an awesome experience with one of my neighbors across the street. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Friday. He came out. He stood in the, in the road. We don't have a busy road, don't worry. But he stood at the edge of the road, and he, he said, oh, don't worry, I'm not coming any closer. I said, no, dude, come on now. Uh, but he was like, hey, so we always get pizza on Friday, and I've been wanting to, to get you a pizza for your family uh, to just welcome you to the neighborhood and stuff. What, what, who does that to strangers? Well, that's, that's extending hospitality to strangers. Buy someone a pizza. I mean, come on. We want to worship God. This is how we do it. A good person and a Christian are often confused. The difference, let me tell you the difference. The difference between a good person and a Christian is this. A good person acts out of their own passion. A Christian acts with the passion of God. He empowers us. He directs us and he keeps us going when we don't have any strength to continue. And so, 
let us be reminded today that our worship is not comprised of sermons and songs. It is not tithing and fellowship. Those are only small parts of how we worship our Lord. If we truly want to enter into worship together, then let us band together in our thoughts, our skills, and our passions to do the will of the Father in heaven. The heart of worship is, is not so that we have a good time or that we feel good. It is not to be, it is so that we are spurred to these actions, to these sacrifices, to these things that Paul tells us. Because Christ died for us, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to him so that by our actions, others might see and believe. We mirror what Christ did so that others might understand what worship truly looks like. So do not be discouraged in this time of isolation. Do not weep over the fact that we cannot gather to worship together. Because the heart of worship is our sacrifice to God. The heart of what we do is these things. And we can do that, even with the current restrictions we have. So let us worship God together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. No matter how strange it is, no matter how weird it is to be joining in this way, in this fashion, I thank you, God, that we can worship you even in this time of social isolation because your worship extends beyond the measures that we commonly thought of. Past the smoke-screened worships, past the feel-good sermons, Worship of you, the heart of worship, is in our sacrifice to you. And I give you praise this day for that. God of all consolation and compassion, your son comforted the grieving sister Martha and Mary. Your breath alone brings life to dry bones and weary souls. Pour out your spirit upon us that we may face despair and death with the hope of resurrection and faith in the one just as Lazarus was called forth from the grave. Amen. I now send you out into your communities with social distancing in mind to make Christ-like disciples. Go in the grace of God. God bless you.